Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Rev. Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas. And today I welcome back to the show the always entertaining and inspirational (laughs) Phil Goldberg. Phil is the author of some 25 books, which have been published in more than a dozen languages. Um, It's really the fruit of 45 years of spiritual study and practice in the world's spiritual traditions. And Phil is also a popular speaker, blogger, and co-host of the Spirit Matters radio show. His book, American Vader, which is fascinating, actually, was named by the Huffington Post and Library Journal as one of the top 10 religion books of 2010. And he followed that up with the biography of uh, Paramahansa Yogananda more recently. So, uh, It's a joy to welcome, as always, Phil to the show to discuss his latest book, which is very apropos, eminently topical right now, Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times, Powerful (laughs) Tools to Cultivate Calm, Clarity and Courage, which, of course, we can all use right now in the midst of COVID-19 and all the other uh, interesting things that are going on in our world and in our country. So welcome, Phil. Glad you're with us today. Hey, Paul, it's great to be back with you. And I, we should say, when, since you mentioned my podcast, uh, that you have, were one of our guests, so people can listen to you being uh, interviewed uh, in our archive. And that was a joy, too. I'm glad I was able to be on, on your show. And, and congratulations on all the, the good work you're doing in that regard, too. Thank um, you. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, one thing you mentioned, you know, we just mentioned that this is very timely that this book should come out. We also m- mentioned that it's, it's also t- timelessness is involved here, right? Because yeah. from time immemorial, we've um, been dealing with the same kind of stresses. Uh, and I, I've been thinking particularly of that, you know, in, in terms of my parents and grandparents dealing with the Second World War, you know, and, and they, they were in Europe, of course which is, you know, impacted more greatly even than the States. But but the whole idea, if they could come through with the, the resilience that they uh, exhibited, you know, we can too. So people have, have suffered always. And yes. I'm a big uh, reader of Marcus Aurelius, and uh, he lived in difficult times too. Yeah. So, yeah, things don't change. And not to mention, you know, our parents and grandparents going through the Great Depression and the pandemic of the 
1918 to 20 and World War War One and go back and back and back. So it and goes. Right. So it goes. Uh, and and with respect to my book, um, there's two aspects of what I uh, include in the book being perennial. One that they apply at any time, as I, I say in the preface, that even when times are good collectively, you know, absent a pandemic and an economic collapse and a war and whatever, uh, in any of our lives, you know, uh, difficulties, challenges, crises, tragedies, they erupt. And, and so, you know, these teachings um, that I draw from are timeless in their application, but also timeless in the sense that, you know, I'm drawing on uh, a lot of ancient wisdom that has uh, been applied throughout the ages in different cultures. And of course, the key to it all um, is the fact that it's an inside job. And you mentioned that in the, in the early in the book and continue to reflect on that throughout the book. And, you know, as, as Unity folks, if many of us listening are, from the unity tradition and we would agree that you know that you have to turn within as we say to get to that place within there's a great quote from the the great uh, medieval mystic kabir uh, on page six it says where are you searching for me friend where are you searching for this inner wisdom uh, look here i am right within you not in temple nor in mosques not at kaaba in in mecca not kailas the holy mountain of the buddhists and the hindus but here, right within you, am I? And of yeah. course, that's so beautiful, isn't it? It's it's the it idea is. that we, you know, um, every every construct has to disappear, and you have to come back to your authentic you, right? Yes, and that's a core principle of the book, as you as you recognize. Um, and you know, we could have marshaled out forty different quotes saying the same thing, but I just love Kabir, so I, I used him. But I, 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 in the book, I express it as um, that we have a sanctuary of peace within us and a, a fortress of strength within us at the core of our being, and access to that. Uh, integrating it into our lives is uh, the core principle of the book and everything else are ways of doing that under different circumstances, uh, you know, different uh, to meet different needs that arise. Right. Absolutely. And one thing I need to tell the listeners here, folks, that it, this book is fascinating because it's like a primer to spiritual practice in many regards. So, um, and if, if you're new to this, obviously you're going to have a plethora of things to, to go to, practical help. But if you're fairly familiar with some of the uh, spiritual techniques and um, tools, I think you'll find the way it's phrased uh, very useful. As always, in, in every Phil Goldberg book, it's, 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 it's almost like Phil is talking to you. It, it, he's, it's just like having a, a, a lovely conversation over a cup of coffee with someone and and that's the wonderful thing about the book i think and and, and you wear your erudition very lightly right and so you know <laughs> thank you paul over the head with all your knowledge but using it in, in a very apropos way at in, in the right time in the right place so yeah it's a very user-friendly book i would say thank you paul that was one of the goals it's it's also very uh user-friendly in that the format is small 
and uh, it's only you know 200 pages, and so I try to I try to make it as um, uh, practical and easily understood as possible. Um, so I appreciate your saying that. I love the cover too. On the cover, you've got an up close view of a bus stop in a busy urban setting. Could be New York, could be London, and you've got this rushing bus. Uh, it, 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 rushing past, um, which is the indicative of the speed and, and the uh, ca chaos in our lives often. And yet here we are, you know, invited to be quiet, stop, to stop and, and uh, relax right in the midst of all the difficulty. So it's, it's, a, it's a nice cover. I like the way it. Uh, oh, thank you. I will pass it. I will pass that along to the publisher whose uh, designers came up with the idea and, uh, it was. It was. Uh, it grew on me. I've. I've come to really appreciate it. Yeah, I think it, it. It makes its point, you know, which is good. So you're a child of the '60s, obviously, and we get a lot of references to the '60s <laughs> in in your book. Particularly, it seems Bob Dylan. I know you must like Bob Dylan a lot because you have you 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 have vibe on some of his well, uh, song titles. And, I, yeah, uh, I did. That's true. And thank you for recognizing that. I hope I, I hope I didn't overdo it. But uh, I'm a big Bob Dylan fan myself, so I, I I'm, I'll always go for a little Bob. Yeah, um, and a little to, Leonard Cohen as well. well. Leonard Cohen, yeah, it's a crack <laughs> in everything. That's how the light gets in. You know, that's of course probably one of his greatest lines, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, it is. And and that's it's interesting. You know, the we in Unity we say we're releasing the imprisoned splendor. You know, as Browning mm. would put it. Um, and and yet Cohen talks about it's a crack, but that's the light in. And and that's the two kinds of divine, right? There's the imminent and the transcendent. So. Whenever there's a crack, the, the light gets in, but it also comes out at the same time. So it's a sort of a reciprocal arrangement there, right? The, yes. Uh, the yes. is within and without as well. Thank you for recognizing that. I, the, I, the quote, which, you know, is widely used, but in this context, it, it was especially meaningful for me to evoke it and to elaborate a little bit and say, uh, yes, uh, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in, is the line from uh, Cohen's song. Uh, but even more important, not even more, but part of that is that there are cracks everywhere. We can locate the cracks, not just in the uh, methods we consider spiritual usually as you know, meditation and prayer and all the usual uh, kinds of methods that uh, we associate with the term spiritual practice. But we can access the cracks where the light gets in, no matter how dark things appear, no matter where we are, no matter what's going on around us, because we can always locate the crack that lets the light in. And uh, as I point out that even even the, um, the, the briefest little flicker of light, when you're, when you're in a room in the dark and you're fumbling around and you're, you're afraid, even a, a short little flash of light is going to alleviate the fear because you'll see where you are and, and you'll uh, rec return to, to uh, the reality of the present. Yes, I like that. 
Okay, let's shift from Bob Dylan and, and Leonard Cohen <laughs> to uh, Timothy Leary, because uh, your first chapter, the main chapter on meditation is, is to turn off, tune out and drop in, which is, a, a, again, a, a riffing on, on Timothy Leary's uh, tune in, turn on and drop out. Uh, yes. But, but it's, it's the idea that, um, you know, we spend so much time turned on to our machines these days, you know, with social media, iPhones, you name it. Um, and we, we, we're invited to stop that, right? There's this power in just stopping. Whether you do anything else, just stopping is very powerful because it, it's, uh, it's a gap in the series kind of thing. Um, That's right. And it's, it's the same with news, right? You know, once you get involved with the news, you have to keep listening to catch up and keep up with everything that's going on. If you stop for a while, you realize maybe I didn't need to have all that endless news in my head, you know, not to yeah. be uninformed, right? But not to be a slave to it, I think is what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, there's balance here. I, I uh, when I came up with that um, uh, variation on the, you know, famous uh, 60s uh, turn on, tune out, uh, turn on, <laughs> wait, turn on, tune in, drop out. I reversed it to indicate what you're talking about. And I, I use it in two ways in the book. One, that we need, uh, I think, you know, I advocate strongly a regular daily spiritual practice uh, to, to take you deep within to, the, to that core, to the source of the in, inner splendor you invoked before. Um, as a routine of life, as part of life, taking a, taking the time to tune out, to to go within, and uh, experience the uh, peace within in, in the in the sanctuary we all have within us, as a routine of life, as routine as, as the, you know, brushing your teeth or uh, you know getting your exercise or showering or whatever. The other aspect of it is what you talked about. The, the overwhelm that we are all dealing with now uh, and, and the conflict uh, between trying to be uh, engaged and well-informed and tuned into what's going on in the world and at the same time uh, protecting ourselves from being overwhelmed uh, that's, you know, there too, we have to find the balance and uh, occasionally, you know, drop out even for five minutes or 10 minutes to, to regain our center in the midst of the craziness. I deal with it every day. I, I, I am obsessed with keeping informed. And, it, you know, every once in a while I say, wait a minute, I just watched 10 minutes of of uh, newscasts that told me what I heard uh, two hours ago on a different newscast. Right. I don't, I don't need the redundancy, and you know the emotional charge that each each um, exposure elicits. I have to protect myself. Well, it reminds me of uh, you know the John Muir quote where he, he says that you know I, I went out for a walk, right? I went and I, and then I realized I wasn't going out anywhere. That was going in, um, mm. and it's the same idea. You know, we tend to think the news is is the reality, and I've got to be aware of that. But when we drop out and drop into something deeper within us, we realize that maybe that wasn't reality anyway. You know, that that was just the conditioning of the news cycle or whatever. And yeah. uh, there's something more profound going on here. And I would add, um, doing so is not 
just a, a means of self-preservation, and, and it's not an escape. Doing so allows us to go within and bring out the inner peace, the clarity of mind, the strength, the fortitude that will enable us to then engage, re-engage with the world and absorb the news, evaluate it better, have more discernment, have more uh, equanimity in the midst of it all, and therefore be able to react to it in a more constructive way, whether it's just you know, how it affects us and how we discuss it with our families or if we're engaged in any activity uh, for uh, uh, social change in the world or just inform us as citizens and uh, voters. Um, these, these methods that I evoke in the book are not just for protection and refuge. They're also a platform for... Uh, uh, stronger mind, stronger bodies, stronger soul, uh, and and so we we can engage the world in a more um, effective manner. Well, it's, and it's very much the same as our own physical conditioning, isn't it? You know that we we need to be prepared for whatever the work is that is ours to do, right? And and yes. if you don't do a regular physical uh, exercise. When you're called upon to do something, you know, you're not going to be doing case in point. I was I was babysitting one of my grandchildren the other day and um, my son-in-law is, uh, is had a tree fall down in his backyard and he's slowly chopping it up and turning it into firewood and pieces of furniture or whatnot. So he invited me out to he just sharpened his up his axe and he wanted to see if we could chop some tree. And so he, you know, he demonstrated this. Uh, you know, I already knew it. I'm 30 some years older than him, but. But that was nice. I'm glad he demonstrated it. Uh, but uh, then he invited me to, you know, to do it. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, he's he's in his early 30s. I'm in my late 60s, and it's like, okay, let's let's go. And uh, but you know, unless I've done some physical work myself at home, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have been able to keep up with him, you know. And um, and but I did okay. <laughs> good for <laughs> and, you, and, Paul. Nice, yeah, good for me, right? And I, but I bring that up because it's, it's exactly the same. You know, we, we, we're using our spiritual muscles every time that we give ourselves the, the gift of turn, tuning out, dropping into this still center and, and building those muscles so we're able to deal with the difficulties of our lives uh, with greater grace and, and, and not be overwhelmed, I think. That's, that's key too, right? I agree. And... And then, you know, to use the, your uh, physical uh, conditioning a metaphor in a slightly different way, when you do engage, like if you go for a hike or you're, you, you're, if you're a jogger, you run around uh, wherever. And if you're a weightlifter or if you're a, a basketball player, before you engage, we usually do some kind of warm-up exercise. You know, we stretch. Uh, you know, whatever it is that's appropriate. And, and, and I think of spiritual practice as that kind of preparation. Uh, so you stretch, you warm, your, warm up your muscles, you do these things. And, and spiritual practice is that for the mind and the body and the soul uh, before we, you know, spring into action, as it were. Right. If excellent, excellent point. And, you know, the, Phil discusses the you know the techniques of of the breath and the mantra of using words, especially uh, empowered words. Um, 
using um, the technique of the, of the gap, uh, which I'm very enamored of. You know, I, th I think the people in London are quite enlightened because everywhere you go on public transport, they, they intone the great mantra, mind the gap. And uh, <laughs> as you get off and on the, sub the subway, the underground and, and the buses, mind the gap. And, you know, they're not realizing that they're, they're speaking a spiritual language here, but, but no, the and, and gap is, is powerful, I think, isn't it? Yes, and, and uh, neither did the uh, American uh, advertising copywriters uh, when they uh, created Fall into the Gap right. for, for the Gap stores. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but the gap is that moment between things, isn't it? It's that liminal yeah. space, right, where... One thing ends and, and another starts at the end of the breath and then the, the end of the uh, inhale and before the exhale. It, it's a moment of complete stillness. And it's in that gap, it seems to me, where, you know, the, the, the real wisdom is, right? It's, it's, it's a very quiet, uh, uh, expectant place, but with, without that sense of having to do anything or be worried about it. It just is. Yes, and, and I think, uh, I'm glad you brought it up because often when I talk to people who are, especially people who are somewhat new to uh, inner practices like deep meditation, um, they hear about quiet mind and, uh, you know, perfect stillness and silence and all that, uh, but the mind remains active very, you know, much of the time when you're practicing these techniques because that's what the mind does. Um, and, and pointing out, that there are probably gaps, even fleeting gaps between thoughts, or if you're using a mantra in meditation or some other point of uh, attention, there'll be these little moments when the mind settles down and even for the a brief passage of time, you're in the timeless and, and there's no thought, there's, but you're awake inside. And that's, you know, a gap with a, a, a capital G. And, you know, that's a, a, an indication that the silence is, in fact, within us. And the point of stillness is, in fact, within us. And we can access it, even uh, in a fleeting manner, uh, to our great benefit. Right. And I, I want to point out, too, there's a lovely uh, section on... Uh, practices to frame meditation too. So it's not just about the actu actual meditation, but the things that happen, which you sort of referenced there tangentially, yeah. um, you know, before and after meditation, various ways we can relax before and after, um, use the breath, uh, visualization, um, and abide in awareness, which I, which I particularly like, because I think that formal meditation is great, but I think every moment can be a meditation in the sense that was simply aware uh, of being aware of just being yeah. present to what is, and and that's that's powerful too. We can do that anytime, right in the midst of a of a task. You can still be at peace, right, because you're absolutely approaching your task with a sort of mindfulness that's um, that relaxes you, and in fact, you do a better job that way. Um, but if you're panicked about it, uh, you know it's it's not good. We we just had a one of our carpets uh, straightened. It was it rucked up, and we. We happened to bump into some uh, carpet people in our neighborhood, and, and they said they could do it, so it came over. And and I, I was amazed at their skill in, in just doing that task. It only took them a few minutes, but there's no way that I could have done it. You know, they had all the right tools, of course, 
but they were very relaxed about it. They knew what they were doing. They had the skills. They'd done the, the practice necessary. And then, and then they just effortlessly did the work. And, and again, that's another physical example, I suppose. But it's, it's a mind-body thing because they were completely into their, their work. And I'm, I'm always impressed by artisans or, or people who just work that we wouldn't think, oh, well, that's not so great. They're putting laying carpet. But, you know, it's a real skill. And um, yes. I, I applaud that, you know, because it's part of what keeps this world going around, that we have so many people with skill sets um, and I don't think we spend too, enough time applauding that, you know. And both of them, the, the people that came over, both happen to be as Hispanic, as, as a lot of the working people are in America, especially in the south parts where where I live. And, and you know, it gives the lie to this idea that they're all lazy and, and you know, thieving and, and rapists and whatnot. And, you know, in, in my mind, that's, that's the opposite. They, they, they're, they're the most hardworking people I've ever seen, so... Just yeah. want to put that out there. It's it's just again, it's perception, isn't it? Yes, and and uh, it's a very interesting observation you make because you know people who are doing what they're called upon in this life to do, what in in India is called dharma, um, they're everywhere. And if you look as you did, you will see that when they're doing this, whatever it is they're called to do, whether it's laying a carpet or uh, driving a truck, or uh, being a carpenter, or being, you know, LeBron James, or, you know, some great athlete, or some great musician, or a great uh, singer. Uh, that experience of being totally engaged in, in something that is so absorbing, whether it, it uses uh, your voice, or your hands, or your legs, you know, whatever it is, if you are lost, it's what athletes will call being in the zone. Yes. And you're not thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about how you look. You're not even thinking about how the process that whatever you're doing is going to turn out. You are just in the moment. As they say in, in the Bhagavad Gita, you are unattached to the fruits of your action. You are just doing the doing. You are minding your isness, as I say. And so when you, one of the methods I, you know, the many methods I advocate in the book for, you know, returning to that stillness inside is engaging to the extent you can in activities that completely absorb you, where, you know, you just are so involved that you don't, and, and for many people, that's that comes out in uh, acts of service, in doing for others, you know, whether you're volunteering at a, you know, right. a, a hospital or helping a child. We'll talk care. about this in the, in the second segment. I don't want to cut you off, Phil, but okay. we've got to get to the break here. Um, folks, I'm with uh, Phil Goldberg. We're talking about his wonderful new book, Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times. We've got to go to the break. Let's listen to these messages from Unity, and we'll be right back. Join us then. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. All right, welcome back to today's show. I'm with Phil Goldberg, and we're talking about his very latest book, Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times, Powerful Tools to Cultivate Calm, Clarity, and Courage. We've had a wide-ranging conversation already on these subjects, and we could talk for literally hours on it, and I think you're going to enjoy the book. It's, it's published by Hay House, but of course it's available in all the usual outlets. And just in case people want to contact you, Phil, what's the easiest way to do that? Um, my website is uh, philipgoldberg.com. That's Philip with one L. And uh, you'll find everything there, you know, uh, interviews with me, all kinds of information and links. Oh, and I may as well mention that um, I've, I've created a, a, an audio of uh, meditation instructions that uh, will be easier for people to follow than the written instructions in the book. Um, and so I've offered it to people who buy the book. If they ju- you'll see instructions for it on my website. So if you want that, uh, go to my website and follow up, and I'll I'll send that to you. Okay, good. Um, there's fascinating sub- the chapters on spiritual time management, which we can all use, and <laughs> changing our minds, um, which again we're very familiar with in Unity. You know, reframing. Um, and attitude is everything and all that. And I, but I want to skip over those because I want to get to uh, two other topics that, that fascinate me, if that's okay with you, Phil. Sure. We certainly can't cover everything in this book. No. so much. Um, but I love the chapter on friends. And uh, friends is a broad subject. It can mean our relationships with our partners, um, with, with some community that we might be associated with or a, a study group that we, we've maintained through COVID-19, or spiritual guides, uh, even spiritual teachers and masters. But but it's important to have that sense of what the Buddhists call uh, the sangha, right? Or the satsang, uh, the idea of being with uh, like-minded folks, right, that that can support us. Yes, I think it's terribly critical. And um, a lot of the people I, I come in contact with, you know, in spiritual circles are very independent often unaffiliated with mm-hmm. a, a, an institution or an organization uh, in, in any regular sense, you know, unlike, you know, churchgoers or synagogue goers or mosque attendees or whatever. Um, and I think, uh, you know, many of them miss community. Um, and so I, I encourage that because, you know, it's even if you have to informally create a sense of community by having uh, engagement with your spiritual companions, with your like-minded seekers, uh, even if it means uh, organizing your own uh, study group with a handful of people, um, or or times when you meditate together or pray together uh, or explore different practices together. there's refuge in community. There's refuge in um, companionship, and uh, it's an ele- it can be an elevating um, uh, growth experience to have 
that in your life on a regular basis. Now we're talking in the midst of a pandemic when people are isolating, but you know, it can still be done. It can be done with masks on at, at a proper distance. It could be done online, thankfully. Um, and certainly after the pandemic, we'll all have missed community. We'll, we'll have missed being with our cherished friends and loved ones. And I hope then, you know, we value it even more. And, uh, you know, I, I envision that when all this is over, the first hugs <laughs> are going to be especially meaningful when people get together. And, and but there's also, um, if you don't mind my saying so, there are pitfalls in communities and pitfalls in being part of spiritual organization and pitfalls in following a, a, a teacher or a guru. And so we, I wanted to make people aware of all that so they can find their proper uh, homes and their proper uh, way of relating to, to uh, the spiritual companions in our lives. Right. I think that's, that's, you know, we could have, I think we have done shows on that, you know, the, the toxic nature of spiritual teachers sometimes and, and crazy wisdom, you know, where they invite us to do things our better judgment wouldn't, wouldn't allow, but yeah, that's a whole different show. But you know, <laughs> I, I find it, I find it very spiritual just to have a zoom call with friends, you know, even exactly. though we're not talking on spiritual subjects, we're communing, uh, you know, and we can see each other's faces. So, Spirituality happens at all levels. I'm, I'm a big believer in that. I, I Absolutely. Was, I was on a, a kinder, kinder uh, music uh, t uh, Zoom call with, with my grandchild um, and my wife uh, the other day, and that was a delight, too. You know, I found that very spiritual as well, even singing. That's right. Songs. That's right. Um, you know, and one of the points I make in the book is what we call spiritual um, you know, there's a, an enormous range of variation, and yeah. one one person's just routine uh, circumstance is to somebody else can be quite holy, can be quite sacred, and a lot of it depends on what we bring to those moments. So, if you bring to an interaction with a child. Uh, just like, well, I'm babysitting or, you know. Right, the chore kind of thing. The, yeah, but if you bring to it, I this is sacred. This is a sacred connection. This is, this is uh, a holy experience. Look at that innocence and wonder and joy. Uh, and look what I can bring to that human life. Then it becomes a spiritual experience. I mentioned in the book that, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough, my wife and I, to live with, with easy access to a beach in, uh, you know, Southern California, uh, you know, it's a short drive. And I often take walks on the beach. And some days it's just, I'm getting exercise and I may as well be in a, you know, a dark gym somewhere. But other days I appreciate where I am and the beauty of the landscape and, and the feel of the ocean breeze. And, and it's, it becomes a sacred experience. It becomes a spiritual practice. And what I realized is it's the same beach. Right. The only thing that changed was my inner state. I, am, I was capable. I was open on one occasion and closed and preoccupied on another. So we can find the sacred. You know, you mentioned music earlier. 
uh, some people can listen to just an ordinary pop song and and it could be an elevating sacred spiritual experience and to somebody else it's just something to dance to so you know we have to we we can pick our uh, the way we engage with the world so that ordinary experience can be elevated to a higher level of uh, spirituality. And I would add too to that, and I agree with you completely, I would add that, you know, when you're not feeling it, it's okay, right? Yes. You can't can't force it it. to happen, right? That's right, yeah. I think that's that's worse when we're trying to make everything, quote, spiritual or meaningful, and, you know, that then we're not really there with it at all because we're, We've got this overlay of it must be sacred. You know, I've got to squeeze every ounce of sacredness out of this. And instead of just being with the child naturally and effortlessly or with that beach, you know, sometimes it's it's not happening. But I'm a firm believer that the fact that it didn't happen that time, it it didn't mean nothing was happening. It just was not the way you would have liked it at that time. But then you were still doing the work. You know, the work was going on uh, in subconscious realm, whether you were aware of it or not. And. And then it led to that moment where you were connected. So I think everything is grist for the mail. Every, everything is part of um, the unfoldment, whether we're feeling it or not at the time. I agree completely. And I would add that if you try to make it happen, mm-hmm. it's, it's less likely. To Watch happen. out. Yeah. And, and you're <laughs> going and you, you'll add an overlay of disappointment and even guilt you know what's what's wrong with me why am i not a fully appreciating this sunset why am i not why am i not seeing god in this uh in the woods here and i'm just preoccupied with my thoughts i'm a wretch i'm terrible that would that's (laughs) worse than just having a good walk that's right don't beat up on yourself well, you know, I'm, I'm listening to uh, ever since the uh, pandemic happened, the uh, the ashram in Wales, with what I've been involved with since the 70s, it's, it's very ecumenical, but it's based in Hindu practice. They've been putting up, um, you know, audio uh, versions of their um, uh, of their services, the pujas every day, and so mm. I've been tuning into that on a regular basis. So is my daughter, because she was actually blessed there the, the, the that ashram and uh, so she knows it quite well and it, it some days i'm totally into the chanting you know i'm, I'm really enjoying mm-hmm. it all and other days it's like i got it on and it's okay whatever um but but i'm glad i still do the discipline of, of following it, even on those days where i'm not you know transported because that's part of the discipline that's part of the work that i want to do you know and um so but it's lovely i think there's another benefit of um of COVID here is that the people are doing things like this because they never yeah. used to put things up on, uh, you know, an audio. And sometimes they put videos out there too. So it's wonderful. You can connect with places that are literally 5,000 miles away, you know, and, oh, and absolutely. feel that, that connection, which is like, which is great. It's absolutely true. And uh, it, you know, that kind of the, the blessings of this technology, obviously there's uh, 
you know, pitfalls and dangers of all the being plugged in and the social media, but the blessings are that kind of access. And, and it existed be before COVID, but it's even more so now. And presumably people having seen the value of it will keep it going. And, and you know, we have access to tremendous amount of spiritual riches. I mean, you know, throughout most of world history, you know, your spiritual life depended on who happened to, you know, be the preacher or the priest in your local village or whatever. And right. now we have access to everything and all the world's traditions and so forth. I mean, and, you know, when you mentioned Wales, my mind went to Dylan Thomas. Yeah. And, and you know, here was this <laughs> dissolute, <laughs> drunk, you know, crazy man. But some of, you know, some of the most sublime spiritual moments in my, you know, early life, especially, was reading Dylan Thomas poems. And yeah, so great, great man. Um, but like you said, you know, burned out young, didn't he? He was only 39 when he died. And yeah. Actually died in the Chelsea Hotel in New York City. And you're you're a New Yorker yourself, right? I used to live right near the White Horse Tavern where Dylan Thomas would get drunk all the time. So. There we go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that's another aspect of our humanity, isn't it? Is that um, we are walking contradictions, right? Uh, yes. You know, they were, we're not just one-trick ponies. In, in his case, you know, yeah, he was a, a terrible uh, alcoholic and, and yet was able to, uh, like you said, create these sublime poems, you know. And uh, I, th I think we notice it in our own lives, too, that there's, there's aspects of who we are. And the, the message is don't beat up on yourself. You know, everything that no. you is there for a reason, presumably, and it's bringing you and it, uh, uniquely forth as, as an important uh, vehicle for something in this life. And I think one of the, uh, you know, uh, one of the spiritual practices that help us through crazy times is being kind to ourselves, accepting our fullness that we are sacred beings. We are manifestations of the divine, but we are also human. And, you know, we have bodies and we have personalities and all that and those are not to be just uh transcended and and ignored but to be embraced in all the fullness of of our existence i'm going to tell a quick story about uh, dylan thomas so I, I was at the ashram <laughs> with my my daughter and, and son-in-law and they'd just been blessed after their wedding and uh, they took the the garlands from the ceremony down to Talan, which is where the boathouse is, where Dylan Thomas wrote many of his famous poems. And we, we uh, threw the, uh, the the garlands into the sea there. And um, the estuary comes in and the sea took it up. As the tide came in, it took the garlands up before it took them out to sea. And it was very beautiful. But then we went to the boathouse afterwards and, and I was looking around reading stuff that I'd read when I was a teenager and whatnot. And I just burst into uncontrollable tears, and mm. I think part, part of it was uh, the, I was moved by the the, you know, the, the fact my daughter and, and, and son-in-law were just got married and the beautiful ceremony and whatnot. But part of it was just the heroith, the the yearning of, of being back in Wales and, mm. and feeling that beautiful poetry, you know, and the the the, the lyrical cadences of uh, of his the way he wrote is is so beautiful. 
Um, uh, it, it just took me away there for a while. <laughs> I can imagine. High yeah. tide. High tide and the heron dived. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's I don't know why, but that line has stayed with me, you know, on my whole adult life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was looking out on that very estuary you're talking about, you know, and That's looking great. at the, the heron there. Yeah, very much, very much so. Which brings us to sacred spaces, right? You mm. have a chapter on that. Um, I think many of us have tuned into our gardens and Mother Nature more intently during COVID because we're stuck at home, many of us. And, um, you know, we, even if it's just a, a, a couple of plants we might have in a backyard or, or on a shelf or something, but it's still part of Mother Nature, right? It's, it's something to tune into, to feel connected. Yes. Um, and uh, one of the things I talk about in that chapter is um, taking shelter. It's called shelter from the storm, finding safe harbor and sacred spaces. And, it, you know, um, uh, just as a, a sidelight, I, I wrote the book, you know, where no one had anticipated anything like a pandemic. Right. Uh, and, 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 you know, I had the opportunity to make some changes at the last minute when the pandemic hit, but I chose, you know, to just add a few, uh, one short paragraph in the preface because everything applies, you know, during a time like this at, and any other time that life is crazy and difficult. But one of the things um, that I could have paid attention to was I talk about, you know, going to sacred spaces, including places in nature and man-made uh, spaces like, you know, houses of worship or, uh, you know, quiet spaces in urban settings, uh, parks and, um, you know, the, 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 the reading room in a library or whatever it may be. Um, and that we don't have access to those things as right now to many of those things during the pandemic, but they will be even more sacred to us afterward when we can access them, uh, but we can have, we can create sacred spaces in our homes. If we don't have a spare room to devote to meditation and spiritual practice, we can have a, a corner of a room. We can build, we can create an altar on a bookshelf or a desktop or a bureau um, and put sacred objects there and make that a point of uh, a, a sort of sacred entry space. Uh, so there's many, many ways we can create and access the sacred spaces that we have uh, uh, available to us. I, I think that's a terribly important thing. And if you're lucky enough, as you say, to have a garden or even just bring in a house plant and tend to it as, you know, as if it was, you know, the, the most sacred uh, space imaginable. All this is important, uh, you know, just going out at night and looking up at the stars is, you know, in a sense, uh, you know, creating a sacred moment, a sacred space. Absolutely. And, you know, many of us are into the wheel of the year, the, you know, the solstices and the equinoxes and the cross quarter days and, and noticing the, the moon, you know, in the various phases of the moon. There's a lot to see if we pay attention, and it's right there wherever we are at any given time, right? It's not like we have to travel far afield. I love to travel, but I haven't been able to do so. But I'm enjoying being here, you know, what I am, because I, it gives me a chance to, 
to really notice things. I think birds, for instance, are, have a lot to tell us right now. That's what I've been hearing. And mm. uh, they're always available. Usually there's a bird somewhere in your environment, even if you're in living in the most urban of environments. So, yeah, there's, there's always things around us if we pay attention, I think. Yeah, I've been I'm in the middle of Los Angeles and I know I hear things that we usually don't because there's so much less traffic. I heard that from people in New York as well. Oh my god, we there are different birds here I never would see ordinarily. Right. Yeah, so there we go. There was a peacock in my neighborhood. Was there? Oh, fascinating. Mm. <laughs> I don't That's know. Nice. Yeah. Um I don't want to discuss the chapter, but it's a very important chapter, and that's the uh, immediate inter interventions um, when you're really in need. Uh, and, and that's very apropos right now, and it's a fascinating chapter. One of the things I really liked about it was getting into your senses, and, and you, mm. you talk about you know uh, opening up in, in the, the various five senses that, that you are. So, so get the book and read about that, folks, because that's a that's very, very good chapter. But to close the show, I just wanted not to miss out on the sacred citizenship because yeah. that's that's hugely important. You sort of referenced it at the end of the first segment. And to frame that, there's a lovely quote from uh, Rabindranath Tagore, the great uh, Bengali Indian poet. Uh, he said, I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I woke and saw that life was service. I acted and behold, service was joy. Beautiful uh, yeah. triplet there, um, but so true, right? So true. And I think um, the times are calling to us to not only protect ourselves, but to embrace our roles as uh, citizens of uh, community, not just uh, we're family members, we're members, you know, part of a neighborhood or a town or a community, uh, a country. And um, this is a time for spiritual people who have access to inner wisdom and, inner, and compassion and love to uh, give something back and, and contribute in some way to make the world, uh, you know, a saner place and a less crazy, uh, destructive place. Uh, I think we're called to that. Now, that doesn't mean we, you know, everybody should drop everything and run for office or, you know, campaign for your favorite candidate or whatever. But it does mean to pay attention. And even if it just means helping the guy down the street a little more than you would or writing a check or whatever, but engagement on, on some level, giving to somebody in need, being of service, gets us out of our egos. And, 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 and there's a reason that every spiritual tradition in the history of the world has its members do something of service, whether it's you know sweeping the floor in the church or contributing money or going to a hospital or just helping someone in need. Um, these are deeply spiritual acts and at the moment, they're terribly necessary uh, in, in the craziness of that, that confronts us in the world. When it comes back to the original point, wasn't at the beginning of the show, you know, the idea that it's an inside job. And, yeah. and once you find that inner center, then you can reach out and do something. You know, if, you, if you're always in, in chaos and, and perturbed by the, 
the misinformation that we're fed so often. Um, it's it's hard to act wisely, but we, everybody wants, I think, to do something to make a difference. And so to come to center to, to find out what that might be for you, you know, it could be the simplest thing or it can be a call to go out there and, and you know, get very involved. But uh, each to his own, right? But we must do something, I think, at this at this crucial time. To stand by and let others do it, I don't think is is uh, going to help. I agree, and I call it the spiritual two-step in the book. It's you know, it's just you know, perennial wisdom. You go within, you bring out the best of yourself, and contribute in whatever way you can. And you know, to me. Um, it's it's very important for listeners and anybody who reads my book to, you know, one of the points I made very, I wanted to make strongly is that spiritual practice is not an escape. It's not a form of, you know, disengaging from the world. It's a temporary disengagement. It's a temporary refuge, temporary sanctuary. But then we have, we have to come out into our humanity and be you know, parents and spouses and neighbors and citizens. And we do it better if we do it from a strong platform of inner peace and strength. I love it. Let me tell you about next week's show. And then I'm going to ask Phil to give us five words that will inspire us for the week. Just five words. Be thinking, Phil. Oh, pressure. (laughs) All right. Next week, uh, international speaker, author, environmentalist, and former first lady of the state of Oregon, Sylvia Hayes, joins me. And she's going to talk about her inspirational book, When Life Blows Up. So, yeah, I think it'll tie in nicely with what we discussed uh, today. So, five words. Phil. Peace. Harmony. Wisdom, love, justice. All right. Take those with you this week, folks. Get <laughs> get Phil's book. You're going to thoroughly enjoy it. It's going to be very, very helpful, uh, I believe, for your practice. Thank you, Phil, for being on the show again. Thank you, Paul. Very enjoyable. Take care, folks. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.